0: Hello, and welcome to the United Mates football podcast. I'm your host, Kaitel, and as ever, but for the first time under our brand new name, I'm joined by my co-host, Joe. Both of us are very excited about having rebranded, and we're looking forward to bringing you even more new episodes and interviews than ever before. That all starts today with a guest whose playing career in the MLS took him all over the continent of North America, and who has also represented the United States men's team at both youth and senior levels, and even the Olympic Games, too. We may have seen him at the Olympics regardless of a career in professional soccer, as back in his high school days, he was recorded running the 100 meters in just over 10 seconds. We welcome Marvell Wynn to the United Mates Football Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you, Marvell. How are you doing? And what's your 100 meter sprint time like these days?
1: <laughs> Thank you, guys. Uh, happy to be here. My 100 meter sprint time is a little slower because <laughs> uh, trying to get up to that speed, I mean, it takes a little bit of wear and tear on the, uh, on the old sticks. <laughs> That's fair enough.
2: Well, yeah, good um, Good to have you on, Melville. Um, we noticed on your um, Twitter cover photo, you're sitting on what I believe is potato chip rock, which I've got to say, I don't know if I'd be able to um, to sit on it. But um, the question we actually had for you is, what are your favourite flavours of potato chips?
1: Can't go wrong with barbecue. I would say that was my favourite. Growing up, My was barbecue because my dad would always take some hot sauce and just barbecue chip and then that was his favorite snack so i get barbecue all the way no ruffles
2: <laughs> <laughs> nice now that that's, it sounds good it sounds good but how about you kaito have you got got a favorite um flavor
0: yeah i'm a bit well not disappointed but clearly we see we don't see eye to eye on the ruffles situation they're some of my favorites especially the the cheese the cheese ones but the only thing is that's when you're done eating them you just have like orange fingers which isn't great but um for me i'd say kettle chips are good although They tend to cut the roof of your mouth, which I'm not a huge fan of. Otherwise, um, in America, Lays makes uh, this selection of chips called munchies. And that's like Doritos, Sun Chips, uh, Cheetos and pretzels. And I'm a guy who likes a bit of variety. So so I'd go for that. What about you, Joe?
2: Oh, it's a tough question. Recently, I'll I'll stay true to um, the British crisp or potato chip makers and Tyrrells make some great crisps. So um, it'll have to probably be, I'll just go nice and plain, just the Tyrrells ready salted. They're great. I just had some before we start recording now, actually.
0: Yeah, you're making me nostalgic for for back home. Um, (laughs) But moving on from, yeah, chips and crisps, a few personal questions for you, Marvell. And so jumping back to your childhood to begin with, uh, when was it that you became aware of the incredible speed that you had was it in a sporting context playing soccer perhaps with other kids or were you just the type of kid that would run around the house like a whirlwind and even then it was sort of obvious that you had a bit of a gift when it came to your speed uh
1: definitely at a young age probably when i started first started playing soccer around three just kind of running around and just always got the ball and i never stopped running that's probably how i got fast i just never stopped so probably when i was eight years old or so you know that's when you started branching out and being considered one of the faster ones you know coordinated and all that so from then on it just kind of I just kept going with it then track came along then more soccer came along then playing forward and just kept running and running and running and then eventually people were just like you know you got some speed but you know I grew up in like a little private school so being you know out of 200 kids can go through eighth grade being one of the fastest didn't mean much then I finally went to high school with 3,000 kids got on the track team and I was like you know maybe I actually got some speed in there
0: yeah I had the reverse journey where I was, yeah, at a small school, and I was fast. And I thought, you know, kind of like big fish, small pond, then I got to the bigger school, wasn't so fast anymore. So I would just kind of trash talk the other people at the start line to get in their heads, because in my head, that was the only way I was ever going to have a chance. And inevitably, I would just end up trash talking and coming in last. But I don't know, there was (laughs) kept me entertained for Yeah, the time that I was watching these guys from behind, I guess.
2: Uh, Marvell, I'm keen to talk a bit about your family's sporting heritage because obviously I know you've had a fantastic career in the MLS but obviously your dad um, was a baseball player playing for the likes of the Pittsburgh Pirates and the San Diego Padres and the Chicago Cubs too. Um, When you started pursuing your career in soccer, how important was your dad kind of supporting you throughout this process, and is given that your dad's a baseball man, was he um a fan of soccer too? Did he support your decision to move forward in a in a different sport to his one?
1: I had to get a lot of credit to my parents for basically just allowing me to do whatever I wanted to do. I mean while well, growing up, first of all, soccer started off was my number one sport, so you got it's kind of hard to go from such an active sport to baseball, but throughout I played uh, soccer, basketball, baseball flag football ran track did some volleyball uh gymnastics i did all this sort of stuff so um he kind of just let me go and have free range we would go in the back and throw the ball around a little bit but whenever i try to you know kick the ball with him he, he was just bad at it i mean he was left-handed right footed he couldn't do it but he always said that when he grew up you played soccer you couldn't play any other sport so he didn't really you know find that love for it but once it came along to um actually being seen by colleges and things he would give me advice just You know, from a professional level saying, you know, if you're going out there and you know there's going to be people watching, just go out there and do what you do best. Because if you try to impress, you might try to go outside your realm of comfort and you might mess up. So, I mean, if they get you and they say, well, you know, you could do all this in this one game. But when you come along, we expected that to be consistent. And now it's not. So
2: better off just uh, sticking to what you do. Yeah, no, that makes sense and it's a it's a good thing you did stick to soccer obviously given how things turned out. But um one of the teams I didn't mention that your dad played for was actually a a Japanese team. So I know um I well firstly did you did you move were you living in Japan for a bit when you were younger as a
1: kid? Yeah, for about 6 months in Kobe. Oh,
2: fantastic. Yeah, because we saw um I think it was on your Twitter account a story you told about your mum ordering some um well done Kobe beef or something uh... like that. <laughs> yeah no i can, I it, can imagine
1: it, it hurts me to this day i mean i've i've always been such a steak lover and all that and then i actually didn't have my first you know medium steak until i was 19 or so and it just you know eyes opened a whole new world from the lot and started playing and then just i just, just straight, straight to my mom and said you have me well done for so long
2: <laughs> and what was um what was that experience like of living in japan for six months what what are your memories
1: uh, they have the best toys. Uh, my uh, my older brother was with me. We had a lot of Transformers start things. And though one memory that I have that, I mean, there's no reason for me to remember it, but just my brother asked me, hey, what time does mom and dad come home? And I look up and I'm just like, you know, I can't tell time. And then just that's it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, what a time to be, yeah, sort of dropped into Japan for six months in your childhood. That sounds like a blast. Um, otherwise, Marvell, you and I have something in common in that we're both Bruins. So... UCLA and oh, Westwood. Yeah. Go Bruins. Um, yeah, I spent some time there um, when I first moved to LA. So I wanted to hear a bit from you about the student athlete experience in general, and then maybe more specifically about the UCLA Bruins soccer program at the time. So first, yeah, before the soccer bit, I guess, how was UCLA as a school in general for Marvel? Wynn, the college student?
1: It was, I thought it was pretty great. I mean, coming up, uh, growing up in San Diego, it was great to stay in California um, it was pretty hilly uh, being on Wilshire and all that. Uh, I loved going to go into Daily Reese whenever I could, uh, get yeah. those ice cream sandwiches <laughs> and all that stuff. Uh, but anyway, it was a fun experience, um, but I did have to say like a lot of it, I, I missed out on a lot of the college experience because I was, you know, kind of laser focused on soccer. It was one of those where, you know, practice the next day, game the next day. I didn't, I didn't really go out. I didn't really drink. I was just really focused, but the education I got there when I was there was phenomenal and it was a beautiful campus and just walking around. It was just, I don't know. It's just a, it's just another world that, you know, I just, I'm very happy to be a part of.
0: Yeah. I love my time at at UCLA as well. Um, Diddy Reese, that brings back some good memories, but yeah, I suppose um, you mentioned that it sounds like the majority of your time at UCLA was consumed by soccer practice and being on the men's team. What, was going on with that men's team at the time. I know UCLA has a rich tradition in basketball and soccer are kind of two of the foremost success stories that this college has had. How was the soccer program?
1: Soccer program was good. I mean, I, I, there are a lot of guys that went pro from my, uh, from my squad when I was there. including a Johnny Bordenstein. He was drafted the same year as me, but we yeah, got rookie of the year. Um, Jordan Harvey is still playing. Chad Barrett, Benny Fellhaber. Uh, see, Patrick Ionic uh, Sal um <laughs> uh, my second year. I mean, it was... I mean, it was, it was a great experience. I know that, uh, back then it was the pac 10 and we won the pac 10, both years I was there and my second year we, uh, we had no goal scoring us, uh, on any home game. So, I mean, it was, I mean, it was, it was a fun experience with a lot of great guys.
0: I'm just curious to know which of the dorms you lived in back in the day. Uh, didn't have, (laughs) okay. My brother was oh, in Denev. I remember they. Do you remember yeah. which of the specific
1: tree names? I don't. Okay. Man, that is wild. That brings me back. I, I, I'm surprised I even remember Denev.
2: <laughs> nice. Yes. Yeah. So we've spoken a little bit about your time at UCLA, but moving on to your pro career. And in um, the 2006 MLS draft, you were selected number one by what was then the Metro Stars. And I think in that first season, you actually ended up playing with the likes of Josie Altator, who obviously had a great career, and um, a World Cup winner as well, Yuri Zhurkayev. So I guess, number one, how, how was that first season at the Metro Stars or what would go on to be New York Red Bulls? But two as well, did being picked number one in the draft bring extra pressure with it, or did you kind of relish the fact that you were the number one guy and that, yeah, you were effectively the best guy of your class?
1: it was, it was nerve wracking. I mean, I would, I never considered myself to be, you know, one of the best in pretty much anything I did. I've always been fairly humble, but knowing that, you know, playing with players the likes of, you know, Amado Guevara, Yuri Jorka, and, you know, a a young Josie at the time, it's, when you're playing with these players that are just so phenomenally talented, it's, there's, there's no way as me as a, a fast defender could think, you know, I'm one of the best. I should be here. I was always thinking, man, these guys are good. I hope I can get to the level one day. Um, but the first experience, it was great. I mean, being number one overall was a fun experience and all. And they had high expectations on me when I went in. But again, I, I, I just started to do what I did. You know, I run fast, knock people over and give the ball to the good guys. <laughs> so uh, it, it was nice of them. To, like, they took me on their wing, like a Carlos Mendez and a, uh, Jeff Park. So it was actually they were they were they were it was it was a nice team to go into because they kind of just welcomed me, you know. It wasn't necessarily just being thrown directly into the fire, they kinda helped me out a little bit. And I mean it was it was a great place to start my career off.
2: Fantastic. And actually just going back to the whole draft process, um, did you kind of in the lead up to it, were you were you aware that there was a chance that you could end up going number one? And also, I know obviously everyone especially with like the NFL draft NBA draft people always very diplomatic and sort of say they're happy to go anywhere were there any teams in, part- in particular you were sort of hoping would draft you were you were you literally just ready to go wherever um you'd be selected
1: well there are rumors that I would go number one overall and you know even going into it they had a camera crew kind of following me and my roommate like, knew all about me and everybody around kind of knew and they've done their research and I was like this is kind of weird like what's going on but um I, was, I thought I was going to go to Achievement USA with uh, Bob Bradley when he was there because that was you know, a new team and all. But um, number one overall, I figured that would be more of an offensive type thing. You know, people want goal scorers. They want to bring in young talent to just come in and just really help them you know, get on the board early and all that. But then um, just as the first pick was, you know, the countdown was going, there's a trade. So Bob Bradley traded with Mo Johnston. And he got the number one overall. And then I think some allocation money and I think Jason Hernandez from New York to achieve us in order to get the draft pick. So then Mo Johnson picked me and that was, that was crazy. So in, in the end, I thought I was just going to stay in California the whole time, but it, instead I ended up in New Jersey. So I mean, I, of course I wanted to stay in California. I thought that'd be fun, but you know, getting in that you know, hotel, California kind of a vibe, you know, this is the best place in the world. I never want to leave. I was really glad I got to have that experience over there on the East coast. And, You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't replace that for anything. I really liked it there.
2: Well, obviously you were on the East Coast in New Jersey, but then at the start of your second season, you were traded to, um, well, Toronto FC, who I believe were Canada's first ever MLS franchise. So what was it like joining a team right at the start of their journey? And also from a more like general perspective, what was it like moving to Canada?
1: So one of the big things that my dad told me when it comes to being pro and being traded, because being traded, it it, it, like, it hurt me inside. I'll like, say, you know, I'm, I'm being dumped. I'm being dropped. Uh, I'm not wanted anymore. And that hurt me. But my dad always said, being traded is never a bad thing. That's me. one team just wants you more than the other. And it just so happened that Mo Johnson who drafted me became the head coach of Toronto. So he just wanted to keep me around. So he drafted me, or he traded for me to go up to Toronto, which I knew nothing about. I mean, you have know, as I mean, all Americans were kept saying, oh, you're going to go to the great white north and, you know, they're going to say A all the time, which is not a joke. They do say A a lot. But I mean, it was fantastic. Uh, Toronto is amazing. It's one of my favorite cities of all time now. Um, being traded up there it was a little different. Obviously, uh, the currency wasn't that big of a difference, but I mean, the, the players there were great. The staff was amazing and very welcoming. The city was beautiful. I, I mean, I, I had a spectacular time up there. And then I also got to join um, with Mo Adu, uh, who was up there. And we played, you know, youth soccer together. So I, I was going in there with, you know, a friend of the past. So it was, it was just more of a welcoming vibe than thinking about I'm um, playing in a different country on a different team. Uh, but there were definitely a lot, of, uh, a, lot of, a lot of pieces being put together with a new club, especially Toronto. It was, it was a revolving door. At one point, I think every player in MLS played for Toronto at some point. And the coaches were in and out. Players were in and out. It was it was kind of a whirlwind. Uh,
0: Sticking on Canada for a moment and running off of that kind of funny point you mentioned about them saying a a lot is and it is true. I remember being in France. I was uh, backpacking, uh, kind of doing a Euro trip and we bumped into some Canadian backpackers and we started playing a drinking game. And eventually it was the type of game where you could make rules. And so one of the first rules was if you say a you have to drink. And we obviously, we obviously were, it was quite yeah, a bit harsh on them, but it worked out in our favor. Um, moving on from, uh, from Canada and drinking games to the Colorado Rapids, where you spent a large part of your career. So when you were there, you played at the most highly elevated stadium in the MLS, which is Dick's Sporting Goods Park. How much of an adjustment at first was it for you to get used to playing at that altitude? And then when it came to game time, did that give you an advantage over visiting teams when they would come and play you in your stadium?
1: It took me quite a bit. It felt like it took me maybe maybe six weeks or so to be fully acclimated, and I 100% thought it was an advantage from us going from Denver to away games. I just felt like I could run forever. And then when players would come up and play against us, I would always remember. I've, if I was playing against um, you know a forward that likes to run around a lot, whatever. I remember looking at their lips and seeing if they were chapped, because then I knew that they were dehydrated. And then I was like, all right, you get you don't you don't have much left in your tank. And that was something that I would use. So. I would kind of just – I'd be right up on them and make sure that they'd have to go back and back and back. And they get the ball running backwards, then they turn forward. I'd be like, you can try to come in at me if you want, but I know you ain't got it. So then they'd try to pass it off, and I'd be able to conserve some of my energy.
0: Yeah, that's a good strategy. I think I even might have seen a clip. Did you – when you were at the Rapids, or maybe it might have been the Earthquakes, um, play Madrid in like a preseason friendly or something like that? Or did I – have I made I know, that Oh, that was Toronto. Okay. Because I think I I, I feel like I've seen a clip of you just kind of having Cristiano Ronaldo in your pocket. And it's kind of that thing you're describing where you kind of face him up. You know, it's like, what are you going to do, buddy? Are you going to take me on? And then there's that one time he tries to do it and you just steal the ball. So I'm a fan of these. uh, I'm gonna have to steal some of your techniques, although I don't have the altitude (laughs) on my side. But sticking with the, the Rapids, you managed to win the MLS Cup as a lower ranked wildcard team initially going into the playoffs. So just how was that experience? And then would you put the success in the playoffs down solely to, or mostly I guess, the quality of the soccer that you guys were playing as a team, or how much of it was like an underdog team spirit and everything just coming together at the right time?
1: I would say the latter. It was everything coming together at the right time. I mean, altitude obviously helped, but it was such a comfortable feeling having players like uh Pablo Mascherini and Jeff Lamena went to the center of the park where I remember going against any team, which is such a drastic change from first Toronto, where we went out and we, were, we did not do well in the three years that I was there. And I was like, you know, you know, got to grind out every, every point that we could possibly get. And we don't know what's going to happen this next game. But when it was on Colorado, it was so comfortable. Just, it, was, it was like a machine. Every time I got the ball, I knew exactly where I was going to go. I knew where players wanted to be. And when they had it, I knew where I wanted to move. So we're just all on the same page. Plus that underdog mentality of there's just no pressure. We come out. I mean, we're the, the rapids. No one cares about us. No one knows about us. Let's just go out there and just do our best. And... Have to be great success with the likes of uh, Connor Casey and Omar Cummings up top that were just that were just such a great duo. I think they had 14 goals each and they each assisted each other quite well. Um, and then going to the finals, just which was back in Toronto. And then the coach that traded me from there got fired earlier in the year. So I, I mean everything just came together so perfectly. So uh, going to that final, I mean, I heard it was one of the coldest finals of the year of uh, sorry of like MLS history, but I mean, what a, I mean I'll, I'll never forget that 2010 season. It was, a, it was incredible.
0: I guess just one last question sticking on the the Rapids. If you can see behind me, I have these scars. I'm an Arsenal supporter, although I did decide to wear my my Red Bulls top today. But um, you would you have been playing for the Rapids at a time when, and I'm not sure, so correct me if I'm wrong, if he's still doing it, but Stan Kroenke would have been an owner. So obviously he's a big... Uh, like main, well, he's the owner of Arsenal Football Club. So did you have any personal relationship with him? And do you have any, I guess, sort of insight into Stan Kroenke that most people might not know? What type of guy is he? Uh,
1: he, uh, he was the type of guy that didn't really, uh, wasn't very hand, wasn't very hands-on, very, very hands-off. Uh, I remember the only, I mean, close interaction we had was the next year when we went to the White House to meet the president. And he was just kind of up there talking to, gary smith our coach and he, he you know he didn't really come around and say hi to us <laughs> He kind of did his thing and there's a picture of us with the MLS cup trophy cheering and all that and you kind of just see him to the side kind of like clapping his hand so that's, that's that's all that i really know about the guy
2: so did you um get a chance to speak to i guess it would have been obama at the time did you did you yeah. have a what was what was what was that like it must have been amazing
1: I was nervous.
2: <laughs> so we were all in a line,
1: holding uh, standing up there, um, just kind of waiting for him to come up. And I remember some uh, friends of mine that worked for the Rapids were saying, you know, you know, give us a sign that, you know, you know, we're watching. He's, they're like, touch your chin. And I remember just being the one, my, my arms were never longer. I just took uh, like at least an hour. And I went like that and I put it down. And then he slowly comes around, he starts shaking everybody's hand. I was like, oh I, I, I tried to say, hi, nice to meet you. But I think it came out of... as. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was just said a little speech and things and then i remember like we were all getting down at the same time we turned a corner and he was just gone
0: oh, well it's a good thing that you managed to do that when you did because i guess the alternative now would be one <laughs> shaking a different president's hand and then even that might not even be allowed given the coronavirus time that we're in so which at this point might be a blessing in disguise but
2: <laughs> anyway yeah um so we've spoken a bit about obviously your time at Colorado, which ended up in um victory in the MLS Cup. But then um following your time at the Rapids, you, you well, you came back to California and you joined um the San Jose earthquakes. But I know unfortunately in um 2018 you had to retire from the game following a discovery in 2017 that you um that you had a heart condition. And we can see that since you've retired from the game you've been very vocal in raising awareness for heart related problems and things like that so we were just keen to see if you could tell us a bit more about what you're currently doing in regards to um, combating heart disease and things like that
1: yeah so after after my surgery and after retiring and all that um i try to make sure that i you know do whatever podcast i possibly can to let people know that you know you may you may look and feel great, but you never really know what's going on inside. So it's important to get checked up. And even MLS for a bit, once my surgery happened, they started making, um, making sure that every player got an extra echo for their heart um, for every entrance physical, just to double check on these things. Um, I started going into different practices. So um, I'm now a certified yoga instructor. I'm also doing athletic training. And well, um, I've done a couple half marathons and one time I volunteered for St. Jude just to, you know, for kids health and all that, trying to donate to them and just overall health of, you know, kind of everybody. Cause I kind of want this, I kind of want to be someone that can go out there and be a voice for those who, um, you know, maybe not know what's going on their body physically, but I also want their them to be physically aware of, you know, what, what's a pain versus what's just soreness and what's, what's it like to wake up and feel healthy and feel good versus waking up and just, you know, just going through the day, feeling kind of mad all the time. So, Um, i just kind of want everybody to you know live as healthy of a life as they can and you know stay fit it's a a good feeling to be out there and just kind of you know have the way the world on your shoulders and be like i got this
2: no very much so no that's great you're doing such good work in kind of educating people and making sure people are aware aware of these things but um on a completely separate note (laughs) recently we saw you um take to the catwalk to model um a san jose earthquakes jersey so um would you um back i know you said you're um, a certified yoga instructor now but would you back yourself to become a full time model and i know first it was san jose but will we see it maybe milan fashion week soon or paris fashion week?
1: <laughs> i mean i only, i mean i'm only five nine i don't know if i'm tall enough to really stretch stuff on the catwalk like that but I mean, that would be amazing. I mean, going to New York and going for this, I mean, it felt like just like another appearance for me. Like I was with my handler, which were friends of mine from San Jose uh, that just worked for the staff and all that. But I mean, going around there, there were, were, I mean, there's Trinidad James had like, you know, serious handler and they were making sure that everything was right. Like, do you need water? Do you need anything like that? You know, we had a couple of actors and all that stuff, like Colin Hanks and things. He was a really great guy. I mean, just... It was, it was cool. It didn't seem like I was in New York fashion week. It seemed like I wasn't there, like being a goofball and like everybody, like there were other guys that were very serious that, you know, just like oh, it's just another one of these, like, okay, I'll take my time and all that stuff. But I was like, I'm going to have fun with it. I mean, I may never get to do this again. So I'm going <laughs> to soak it up.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, it was a brilliant mentality. I was going to say, i watched the video myself and yeah, you, you can see how much of a good time you're having. Um, it's not my place to say, but I, as a, as a fellow goofball, I I, I'm into it. So yeah, you got it. You only live once. You got to take advantage of these moments. Um, Moving on from the MLS and your club career and your fashion career. um, Let's speak about your international career a bit more. So you made your senior debut for the United States against Argentina in the Copa America, I believe back in 2007. And I looked at the Argentina starting lineup from that day. I think about half of them have won the champions league. And one of them in particular was a 20 year old Lionel Messi. He'd actually just turned 20. I think maybe even that week at the time. So I'd love to hear from you about how you were feeling in the build-up to your debut. And then uh, yeah, any
1: memories that you might have of that match itself. I was terrified being, I mean, national team. I I just kind of remember nerves. It was all, it was mostly just a blur. I remember going up there and just thinking these guys can just one touch around us all day, even though like, I, I believe even that game, we might've even gone up one zero at halftime and they came back and then They, I think they won three, one at the end, but just having a feeling of just going against a team that is just, you know, you can tell where that next level is and not just the next one, but like way up there. And I was like, okay, so now I know what to do. So it's extremely humbling, but at the same time, I was, I was, I was just a little shaky and that wasn't my first time playing against Messi. We played against them in the U20 World Cup and we had actually beat them. I had actually assisted to uh, one of my former UCLA teammates, Chad Barrett, and we won 1-0. So I knew what he had to offer, but at this point, he was a little bit more, like a little bit more known. And, I mean, that guy's quick. Uh, again, Masterano in the middle, with just those one touches. That's, they were, it was kind of mind-blowing. So my, my full memory of that is just, it's more emotional than you know, what I remember actually happening. So, I mean, it was incredible.
0: How much of the nerves that you're describing would you say came from the new experience being your debut for the senior team? And how much of it came from looking around the pitch and being like, wow, there's Mascherano, there's Varane, there's Zanetti, there's Messi.
1: I, I, couldn't even, I couldn't even cut that up into pieces. I think, I think, first of all, being able to represent my country at that age was, I mean, it, it almost brought me to tears at some point. Because of all the players that play soccer, there were 11 that were chosen to start and represent the entire country. And I was one of them. And I, I mean, that just, that just hit me right where I lived. It, was, it felt so good. at the same time being able to play against these guys that are world renowned. It's just, I, I got this. I'll just, I'll just defend them. I guess, you know, just, I just really hope they just try to take take the long ball and just help us race because if they try to do one twos around me and try to do flicks and things, I'm going to be spinning around in circles, (laughs) but it's, I mean, it was, it was all jumbled up into one and just excitement mixed with fear, mixed with pride and overall just I, I mean I came off that field you know disappointed in a loss but but I, I couldn't be happier for being in that situation.
2: You talk about your pride of representing um, your country and then um, of course that was the Copper America in 2007 but you would go on to qualify and play for the U.S. at the 2008 Beijing Olympics um, which is obviously you know the Olympics is probably the most iconic sporting tournament of all time so how special was it to play for the U.S. in the Olympics? And, yeah, what, what was that experience like in Beijing?
1: Also fun. <laughs> I mean, right when we first got there. First of all, we got there a little bit early, uh, I think about a week or so, you know, just to get acclimated to, um, you know, basically just playing in China and all that. And, you know, the pollution was a, was a bit hard. I mean, we were extremely fit, but uh, one of our uh, preliminary games, we... We kind of, or sorry, one of our practice games, we were playing for maybe, I remember looking up at like 23 minutes and just being completely gassed. I was like, man, it's gonna take a while to adjust. Um, so that took some adjusting. We remember being outside a lot, drinking a lot of water, making sure that we just, you know, took it in as much as we could. Um, and then the Olympic Village where we were there for a night and just seeing, just walking around and just seeing anybody you look at is among the best in their field in the world and whatever sport they did, anything. It was it was it was absolutely amazing then uh, opening ceremonies were i think an hour and a half to two hours away from where our first game was but we we took a vote and we definitely wanted to be there so we go to um we go to olympic ceremonies where you know in the united states you know area they went all this stuff We see all the basketball players come in and everybody's looking at them um i think we uh took hands with george bush or he was around at the time so he was there um he said hi to everybody Then the opening ceremonies, it was hot. We were sweating. We had our our blazers and our little caps. And at some point, you know, we tried to like play it off at first and then it's like, we can't. So we're just, everybody's just drenched. And I think it was the one where that guy was had the torch and it's kind of doing that run all around the stadium. So we watched him go off the fireworks, the, the presentation, all of it's just absolutely incredible. So I just remember me and Patrick Ayani and another UCLA boy that I got there got to go there with me and him were just like next to each other, just taking pictures with as many people as we could. Just just really absorbing the experience. I mean it was it was again another experience. That was so much fun.
0: Are there any um sort of like cliques going on at that point? Like, you know, you're with your soccer guys. Do you look over and you see Michael Phelps and the swimmers, or you look over and you see yeah, yeah. like um, the basketball guys? Are, were there any sort of reputations or stereotypes that kind of like, yeah, li- were, were played out at those uh, Olympic Games? Did you get an insight into the lives of other athletes, for instance?
1: You know, we wish we could, but because soccer, like our soccer stadiums were still spread out, we didn't actually get to stay in the Olympic Village for much longer. We stayed for one night. And then we actually played in the main arena one night. So we go back to Olympic Village, but our coach at the time, Peter Novak, he moved us from the Olympic Village to a hotel because he thought the Olympic Village would be too distracting. And that was before our last game, I believe it was against Nigeria. So we didn't even get to, get to have that fun and, you know, experience that side of things. So, I mean, we can't really say much to that, but I, did. I, w- I wish we could have. I mean, in the end, you know, the Olympics is fun, but you know, it's not the World Cup. It's, it's considered a youth tournament. You know, U23s, and then you have three overage players. Still amazing to be there. And I just, I mean, it speaks a lot to where our youth is going because the U.S. hasn't qualified for the Olympics since, since us. So we, so it, it just, I think that means that, you know, U.S. and the youth development program, I mean, we got to, we got to set things up. You know, we don't want to, we don't want these other countries, you know, getting too far ahead of us uh, right now. No, that's great.
2: Well, I, I guess at the moment there's a, there's a lot of promising players coming through in the United States. So I imagine there'll be plenty more um, Olympic trips and other tournament trips in um, the not-so-distant future.
1: I'm, ex- I'm excited and I'm being very patient on where this national team is going to go. Like you said, we have a lot of youth coming up and it speaks a lot. I mean, the generations are different. My dad my dad said, you played soccer, you can't play any other the sport. But now you grow up and you say, you know you what? Know, I used to play soccer. That's good. You might not have had the love for it, but you used to play. And now as generations go on, it's, you know, now I have a home team that I used to root for, like my hometown. So you know, my kids are going to be rooting for the Raptors. They're going to be rooting for the Quakes. They're going to be rooting for the New Jersey Masters, or the Red Bulls, or Toronto SC. So the love of soccer is growing in the United States and it's being passed down. And I'm, I'm just really excited to see where we go.
0: Yeah, I guess that does give me a bit of a thought going off of that. Obviously, we're approaching um 2026 not so close but there's going to be a world cup between canada where you played the united states where you played and then mexico where i know Chivas usa isn't mexico but you almost had a link to mexico too but um otherwise obviously the united states are going to be automatically qualified and it's going to be a really cool tournament i can't wait to try to make it to some games do you anticipate potentially finding any like ambassadorial roles or being involved in this upcoming World Cup in one way or another? Is that a thing that be, is, is the United States sort of a alumni? Is is that a thing? Can you see yourself being involved in this upcoming World Cup in one way or another?
1: I would love to, whether it be an ambassador of any sorts. I, I mean, I, I want to stay involved with soccer as much as I possibly can, because this is what I love. And, you know, I, I got into MLS, at you know, pretty early in its, in its lifetime. I, mean, I think it was 10 years when I got in there. So, if we can bring soccer to the world stage and just, you know, not make it so that the United States really is passionate about soccer every four years when we make the world cup, you know, skipping this last one, but if I could be in there in any way, I would, I would absolutely love it. It's this great opportunity. And it would be a time where, you know, sports are just getting back together and people are being able to, you know, accumulate again. And I think it would mean a lot for all North America and the world to really experience that sort of activity and, I mean, I think the United States could really get behind this sport at that time. So I would, I would love to be involved in any way I could. Well,
0: I guess again, just one last thing on there. While we have you here, I'll put you on the spot. Can we get a prediction from Marvel Win for the United States at this 2026 World Cup? How's it going to go? Is Pulisic going to take them all the way? Are they going to get out of the group? What's it going to look like?
1: I think by the time uh, we're up to 2026, Pulisic may not be in the number one overall when it comes to uh, our leader. I think he's going to be one with a lot of experience, but we've got some young guys coming up that just have some, some great speed, some great talent. And I think the United States will, I think we're going to at least, I, I think we're going to go, I think we're going to make at least the semis when it comes to this. I really have a lot of ambition and I really think that, I mean, not making a World cup really hurt us. And I think we're going to put a lot of pressure on ourselves and we're, we're going to come through strong. I really do believe that.
0: Yeah, it's potentially it's a golden generation. So hopefully,
2: nice. Well, as long as England get there as well, I'm I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good semi final, actually. England, US. Wow, imagine that. Yeah. That would be that would yeah. be nuts. It um, well, already happened in the, yeah. uh, the women's game, didn't it, Joe? Oh yeah, of course. Um, with um Millie yeah. really Bright, we've Alex Morgan with the tea sipping celebration. Yeah. So. So, we need to get our revenge, is um, what yeah, is. Yeah, I wonder if uh, any
0: of her, now that she's back in England, well, she's in England now at Spurs, I wonder how many times people have sort of reminded her about the tea sipping celebration and maybe let her know that they didn't appreciate it. Who knows? Yeah,
2: I'm sure it's been a, a topic in the, in the dressing room. But um, um, I guess, well, it's still kind of on the international uh sort of things but you've traveled early in your life when you were living in japan and obviously with the united states um, national team you've you've played in the cup america you've played in the beijing olympics i guess the one thing you didn't manage to do in your um, playing career was um make the move over to europe or even just out of north america is that something in your career that you had ambitions of doing is it is it a regret of yours that you never made it over to europe or was it just kind of the way it panned out sort of thing?
1: After the U20s, there, were de- there was definitely a lot of attention. Anderlecht, uh, FC Metz, um, Feynord, and, and Hamburg wanted, uh, again, me and Patrick Adney as a package deal to go straight over and start getting things going. Um, at this time, I was, it was after my first season at UCLA. And in my head, I was like, I mean, I, I might have this great opportunity, but I, I don't think I'm ready yet in terms of, being out there and being able to represent and being able to really perform I just thought of it as I need to be ready to go out there and start right away but I should have thought of it as more of a this is a great learning experience because of the way they would develop me and be able to get such great experiences such early on but instead I went back to UCLA for another year and then my career played out the way it did and I often think back and you know should I have gone here or should I have done this or should I should have done that but um, I think the experiences would have been absolutely amazing. I think I would have uh, become an overall better player. But when it comes to the situations that came about of finding my heart condition, it's tough to say which would have gone better um, because it's still split, whether it was completely genetic or whether it was genetic and it was exacerbated by soccer. So it could be I go over there and they have much more meticulous scan- screenings of your health. So they might have found it early and I would have never had a career or I would have kept going and they would have never found it. And then boom, you know, might have uh, passed out on the field. So, you know, it's, it's tough to say that, you know, I might've missed out on a lot, but right now I'm alive. So, you know, you know, can't <laughs> be happier than being alive. Right.
2: <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's the, that's the best thing you could have. And, um, no, that's, that's interesting to hear about though, those clubs that were, um, in for you, but, um, that does bring us to the end of our interview. So, um, Big thanks to my co-host Kaitel, um, as always, and also a, a big special thank you to our guest Marvel. Marvel, I hope you have enjoyed yourself chatting with us.
1: It was a lot of fun, guys.
2: Brilliant. Um, how um, how can our listeners best keep up to date with you and everything you're doing?
1: On social media, I got uh, Twitter and Instagram, uh, MarvWin22, and uh, don't post other too much. But I'm trying to get more into it. Uh, try to have some more crazy cat videos or something <laughs> get out to the fans really see some insight on what i'm doing possibly some more yoga videos with uh with the junior college that i'm assisting with and all that so marv 22
2: perfect thanks a lot Marvel. we have got new social media tags now so you can follow us on twitter and instagram at united mates fp or on facebook it's at united mates football podcast thank you very much everybody goodbye